Last week when we were looking at Acts chapter 2, we encountered the wonderful story of Pentecost. When the disciples became filled with the Holy Spirit and were transformed into apostles who were pushed out of the upper room by the Spirit, allowed to speak in the various tongues of a world waiting for good news. We looked at Peter's sermon, at the conclusion of which 3,000 new converts were baptized and joined the church. At the end of the second chapter, we're told that this new church gathered together. Awe came upon all of the believers. They gave to each other as any had need. They worshiped regularly in the temple. And they ate their bread together with glad and generous hearts. These are the marks of the church from the very beginning. Worship, compassion, suffering with each other, compassion, fellowship with glad and generous hearts. And then the very next verse is the beginning of our text today in chapter 3, where the church adds mission to its self-understanding. Worship, fellowship, compassion, and now mission. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray at three in the afternoon for the afternoon prayers. They passed through the gate called the Beautiful Gate on their way into the temple. There they saw a man who had been lame from birth, begging for alms. We learn later in the chapter that he's over 40 years old. He's been at this begging thing for quite some time. It's striking to me that we're not given his name. It's as if his identity has been just consumed by the title, The Beggar. That's all his society saw him as. A man without a name, just the beggar. As Peter and John go by, he does what he does best. He, he, he begs alms, alms. But we're told that Peter and John stopped. And the actual phrase is that Peter looked intently at the beggar, as did John. Anyone who has spent time in urban life knows that the trick of getting past a beggar is that you don't look at them. You just, you're busy. You got stuff to do. You just keep going. Not Peter and John. They stop and they don't just glance at him. They look intently at him, as if this was a person. Now, my intent is not to say that it's the best practice to give out money on the streets. Eh, we all will debate that, but the point is that at least we have to look intently at those who are impoverished and who are begging for relief. And then, Peter says to the beggar, look at me. He tells the beggar to look at him. I'm not just here to be the dispenser of a few alms. I'm a person too. Look at me. And so this, this begins a, something of a relationship. We have two people now who are looking into each other's eyes. The community that started with just the church, this compassionate, caring community of fellowship that belonged to the church in Acts 2, by the beginning of Acts 3, is now extended to be a community that is offered to those who do not belong to the church. And he's brought in, 
look at me. We will be in community with each other. Now, we have no idea of knowing that this is what the beggar was expecting or if it's even what he wanted. It probably wasn't what he was looking for. He probably wasn't asking for community. He was, after all, a beggar, and he had apparently become quite good at it over the many years he had been doing this. He had the people who brought him as a lame man and set him down by the temple gate. That's strategic. Religious people are easy marks for this. And they put him at the gates at three in the afternoon as people are making their way into the afternoon prayers. Three in the afternoon is a good time because everyone's been in the market and they probably have some extra change. He knows how to do his business. He's just asking for alms. He's not asking for community. He just wants Peter and John to give him a few alms and to keep the line moving. That's because he was a product of a society that had taught him to lower his expectations. If you're going to be a beggar, the best you can hope for is to be a good beggar. So do we live in a society that constantly teaches us to lower expectations. By the time people come to church on Sunday, they've just, they've just been trying to cope with low expectations. Now they, they, they may not all be beggars. Well, actually they are. We're all beggars. Yeah. They, they've been... They, some of them were begging for someone just to come home with them tonight, to, one night, to, to numb them away from their loneliness. Others in the pews spent the week begging for a promotion in a company that they despise. And now they've come to church begging God to help them just cope with how it is. That's, we just want to cope. But Peter and John... And the reigning Jesus Christ, still at work through the Holy Spirit, have no interest in helping us cope. So Peter says to this man, silver and gold have I none. Apparently he was in seminary at the time. <laughs> so, but, but what I do have, I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he reaches down, and he takes the right hand of this man, and he pulls him up. That's a whole sermon right there. He pulls him up. And then this man, who now has to be called the one formerly known as beggar, <laughs> walks with Peter and John into the temple to worship and give thanks. Apparently, he was a little bit of a distraction because the text tells us he kept leaping while he was <laughs> in the worship service. So apparently, this is the implication of Pentecost. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means that you have the power, you have the calling to be about a ministry of healing. It just, it's the very next chapter. It's one of the first things that we're told about Pentecost. The disciples are called to heal in the name of Jesus. I think the point of this narrative for us is not just that a man who was formerly a beggar has now become a leaper. I think the point 
is that we are all beggars. And it's only in the name of Jesus that we're going to get back up on our feet again. And you have the ability to proclaim that name. You have the call. You have the power to proclaim the name of Jesus, which gets people back on their feet. You know, everybody that the apostles healed, everybody that Jesus healed physically, eventually got sick again and died. So if this physical healing was the only point, they were just, they were just prolonging the inevitable. The, the point was always, of the, all of these healing stories, is to say, do you open your eyes, do you see that there is holiness in your midst here? Anything can happen. That's your calling. To say to those around you who are hurting, there is holiness in your midst. Who knows what might happen? When I was a young pastor, shortly after leaving here and beginning my ministry, I was always intimidated by making hospital calls. And it wasn't that I had a hard time visiting the people who were sick or broken. No, the intimidation was from all those people in the white coats. The doctors, the nurses, the technicians. Boy, they had these official uniforms. They had their names written right on here. They had stuff around their neck. They had things in their bags they could use to poke you and, and they could put fluid in you or take fluid out of you. They could pour pills down your neck. It all said, hey, I'm, this is about serious business here. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. And I always felt when I was in the room and one of them would walk in, I was just, I was just kind of in the way. One day when I was sitting there the, with one of my parishioners in the room, not having any of those serious things, those good medical-looking tools, I sitting there with my old worn-out Bible and a prayer that I'd rehearsed in the car on the way over to the hospital, a nurse walked in. Immediately feeling like I was in the way, I just jumped up and started to head out for the door. And the nurse says, where are you going? She says, aren't you this man's pastor? I said, yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I just... <laughs> just want to let you do what you got to do. She says, I'm going to do what I got to do. You do what you got to do. So you're the one, this is an exact quote, you're the one who's supposed to bring a little bit of heaven into this room. That's right. That's what I do. Why would I trade that in for a stethoscope? That's what I get to do. Do what you've got to do. Seize your authority. You have the power of the Spirit to invoke the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your ministry will be like when you leave, or whether it's in a classroom or a parish, or you're working in some inner city nonprofit organization, you're going to be surrounded by people who are begging. They're begging for relief from marriages that are falling apart. They're begging for relief from bodies that do not work. They're begging for relief from their depression. They're begging for relief from their economic malaise. 
They're coming to you, and you're going to hear this begging. It would be tempting to step back away from it, to say, I can't fix those problems. I, I don't want to take responsibility. It's not your job to fix. It's your job to take the authority you've been given to invoke the name of Jesus Christ, the great physician, the healer of souls. You've got the power. What those around you need is for you to take responsibility and use it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.